want to greet each one in Christ's name this morning. It's good to see each one of you, and it's always good to visit in northern Indiana. It's been a few years since I've lived here, but for those of you that don't know us, this is where me and my wife were both raised. Uh, we grew up in Napanee area, and so... It's always a little special place in our heart when we can come home and can visit northern Indiana. We have some of our family with us this morning, and I asked them, we've got two, uh, two of them that are kind of new to our family. One has managed to weasel her way into our family, and the other one's still trying. Um, and so I asked them the other night, I said, so what parts do you sing? And they both sing soprano. So I told him, well, that is great, because if we would sing this morning, and that got shot down pretty quick. So I guess I'll let them stay where they're at this morning. So we have got several, some of our family with us. There's three of our children that are not here, and they're all married as well and have children. And so we have had a good weekend together with our parent, with my parents and with Lisa's parents as well. We probably don't talk exactly like you do. So if I say something why, um, that you think is kind of funny, why well, that's probably from where we're from. And we can talk about that afterwards, and I'll try and correct you. Um, <laughs> I want to start this morning by telling, just saying one word, and I want you to think about it for a little bit. The word that I want you to think about is God. What do you think about God? If somebody, if you, if you would give somebody a description of God, what would you tell them? I don't know how many people are here. 150. There's probably that many different ideas or things that would have come into your mind when somebody says the word God. You may be the person that is, went back to the book of Genesis, the first chapter, and you thought about, in the beginning, God. That gives you a picture. There's, there's some of you that probably look at God like that. That he is this great, he's, he's this big being that created everything. So you think about his greatness, and you think about how powerful he is. And what he can do in his unlimited abilities, that may have been your picture. Some of you may have went to Isaiah chapter 6, where it talks about the holiness of God. The angels were saying, holy, holy, holy is God. And you've got this certain picture of God that God is, he's so holy that he's almost out of reality. That may be your picture of God. Your picture of God, this, when I said that this morning, may have been a, a picture of when God told Moses, he said, stand back. My anger is kindled against the Israelites. 
get out of the way so I can think about my anger and I can pronounce judgment. That may be your picture of God. That He's just and He's an angry God. Or you may have thought about God as He gives every good and perfect gift. And God just gives us all kinds of things and He just, He's this big teddy bear. Maybe that's your picture that you have of God. So which one's right? Probably, if you are honest, and if you really know your Bible, you know that if you take one of those aspects of God and you just think about God in that light, it's probably wrong. We have, we have in our minds, we have this, whenever we think about God, we think about Him in a certain way. It's just... There, there's reasons for that. You may think of God as an angry, just, ready-to-hand-out-judgment type of God because of something that happened in your life. That shapes how we view God. Maybe it was a teacher in school that gave you a perspective of God that kind of formed how you today now Think about God. Maybe it was your parents. There's different experiences in life that mold and shape how we think about God. There's another word I want you to think about. And it's another three-letter word. And this word is man. Something else you could do, another word you could put in there is people. What do you think about people? You probably are kind of in the same situation with your view about God, is you probably have a certain perspective of people. Some people trust other people way too easy, and they get burned over and over again, whether it's monetarily, whether it's whatever. And you see that, and it's just like they just trust anybody they meet. And then you meet, and then there's other people that when they look at people, they just they, they have reservations. Everybody has to come through this stiff arm because everybody's held out here because... We don't trust anybody. Now I want you to put those two words together. What is your view of God and man? In your, in your life, your, the, the little world you live in, the way that you think and process things, how does God... Where is God in relation to man? Is God 
on an equal plane with people? Do you have God a notch above people? Or is God way up here and we are way down here? Or would we be honest enough? Would we actually be honest enough? And I don't know if you have the same issues in northern Indiana we have in Virginia, but people are generally the same. Do you, would you be honest enough to say that sometimes man is just a notch above God? Man does a lot of wonderful things. Man does some amazing things. There's a building in Dubai that stands 2,700 feet tall. And it's one of the most visited places in the world. It's the tallest building in the world. Wow. Who came up with the design to build this building? And we look at that and we're like, that's impressive. People, man came up with that. It has 163 floors. In the foundation, the foundation is 236 feet deep. And in that foundation, there's over 211,000 tons of concrete. That's impressive. Felix Baumgartner, October 14th, 2012, climbed into a small capsule. This capsule was lifted by a hot air balloon to the height of 24 miles above the surface of the earth. He jumped out, and he was the first man to break the sound barrier without any engine assistance. Impressive. He fell over 800 miles per hour. His descent lasted nine minutes. And we think about that, he set a record. It's like, that is impressive. William Pruitt is another one. William Pruitt was an Iron Man. He picked up that nickname. William Pruitt, in 2011, five days in a row, consecutive days, completed five iron distance triathlons. For some of you, that may mean nothing. But what he did is... He swam five days in a row. He swam two and a half miles, pedaled a bicycle 112 miles each day, and ran 26 miles each day. After the first day, he went to bed. He did it again the next. He went to bed that night. He did it the next day. He did it for five consecutive days. Impressive. Countries build armies to try and outdo and stay one step ahead of the other countries. Technology. 
is, is developing so fast you can't even keep up with it. Man is impressive. Where do we hold people in relation to God? Would we be honest enough to say that we're impressed with people sometimes to the point of idolatry? And we would say, oh no, no, I'd never do that. But really, is that actually what you live out in your life that God is in the proper position in your life where he needs to be? Humanism is a prevalent thing in our society today, and it's not just prevalent in society, it's prevalent in church. We don't like to admit that, but it is. The basic belief of humanism is that man is central. Man is God's greatest creation, but we have put man at the place where it talks about in Romans chapter 1. It says that, God, that, that man worships the creation rather than the creator. And at some times, if we're honest, I think we come very close to doing that. We hold people pretty high esteem. You don't agree? When was the last time you made a decision based on what so-and-so is going to think? Have you done that recently? I better not do that because so-and-so might, mm, you know. Okay, so where's Pete? Where are people? Where's God? There's a fable that's been handed down for years. And in this fable, there's an old man who is traveling with a young boy and a donkey. The first village they come to, the, the three are walking. The village people said, you're a fool for not riding the donkey. So the man gets on the donkey. They leave town. They get to the second village. And the people in that village say how cruel he is for making the boy walk. And he's sitting on the donkey. Why don't you both ride the donkey? So they both get on the donkey. Comes to the third village. The third village, the people are upset because of the cruelty to the animal. Why are you both riding on the donkey? Don't you know that that's making the animal tired? That's animal cruelty. The last the man was seen, he was carrying the donkey. Why? Do you feel sometimes like you're carrying the donkey? Because you're trying to please all kinds of people. Where has God gone? So the question is, should we not care about people? That's 
that's where your mind wants to go. And you you're probably are there already. Do I just live life and absolutely not care about what other people think? I make my decisions. It doesn't matter who I'm going to hurt. doesn't matter who gets offended. doesn't matter what anybody else wants. I'm going to make my decisions. And I can always say, well, God told me to do it. And you can't argue with that. There's no argument with if somebody says, God told me to do it. If you argue against that, you might be arguing against God. And so... You tag that on the end of it, you've got your case. God told me to do it. Thessalonians, it says that we should abstain from all appearance of evil. So there is a certain aspect of it does matter what other people think about my life. Not necessarily what they think about me, but how does this affect my testimony for God. So should I think about what, uh, be concerned about what other people think? It's absolutely. Because if it mars my testimony about God, I shouldn't do it. So do you know where to go now? Are you confused? How do I live life with God in his proper place and people in their proper place. Job, and you can turn to the book of Job if you want to. We'll go there here in a little bit. Job was a man that the Bible says is, the book of Job starts out and it gives a little bit of a description of Job. Job chapter 1 it makes a statement, it makes a comment about Job. Verse, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright and one that feared God. That was what the writer thought about Job. He was upright and he was perfect. That's a nice thing to have people say about you. That's great that people would think you are an upright, perfect man that is following God with his whole heart. It's a great testimony. Verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, This is God's view of Job. It's one thing to think that people would think well of you, but this is God's view of Job. The Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? Verse 8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man? That was God's testimony about Job. So Job has a good testimony among people, and he has a good testimony with God. God says the same thing. He's perfect and he's upright. 
Job has some friends that give him some counsel. And their theology is right, but their application is wrong. But they give him some counsel, and Job's, during, if you read through the book of Job, Job has some questions for God, and he has a few complaints. But Job, the, the book of the Bible says that Job never sinned, so he, was, he kept his perfection even through his, you know the story of Job, through his suffering and losing everything that he lost and even his own health, he never sinned and he never charged God with something that crossed that line into sin. And yet there's, his last counselor, his friend, came to him and said, Job, you've charged God wrong. And one of Job's big questions is, why do good people suffer? And we still wrestle with that same question today. And we come up with all kinds of reasons why there are people that suffer. But in chapter 38 is where we want to spend a little time. Chapter 38, Elihu has, has told Job, you've charged God wrong. You've, your perspective of God, and, and I think sometimes... Job was in a situation where he had a situational view of God. This was not his life's perspective of God. And sometimes that you may have thought of God in a certain way this morning because of something you're going through this week or today. We do that. We know we've got this idea of God and we, we know that God is good. We've settled that long time ago, that, that God is good, what He does is right, He's sovereign, He's totally in control, everything that He allows to happen is for my good. But when I'm in the middle of a situation that is, I think, is not good, I have these questions. God, where are you? I know where He's at, but I have a situational view of God where I think God has deserted me or God is not, he, he's just not very close right now. Or maybe you're in a situation where life is good. God is blessing you. God is giving you a nice family. God is doing all kinds of good things for you. And you just feel like God is so close. That's a situational view of God. Next week, that view can change because of what we go through. And I think that's where Job was at. Job knew he, un, he, he knew God. He was a perfect, he was an upright man, he was following God. And yet, in this situation, he asked God some of the same questions we would ask. God, I don't understand. I have served you with my whole life, my whole heart. I'm following you, and I've lost everything. What is up? God has some questions for Job. Chapter 3 is where the questions start. 
he begins to ask Job some questions. And, and, and I want you to, when you think about people, and you think about the, the place that, you, that we hold people in our lives sometimes, the thing that it does, when I elevate people, generally the person the highest on the list is myself. I am one of the highest people on that list. And Job, God asked Job some questions. God, Job, it, 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 you read through the book and it's almost like Job is kind of poking his finger at God and saying, why? You deserve, to, I, I deserve some answers. I deserve some explanation. Why did I lose my family? Why did I lose all my wealth? Why, did, why are these bad things, and, and we, we term things bad because it doesn't feel good to humans, but why are these bad things happening? There, there's really no, there's no blessing in even serving God. And, and God comes to Job and he starts asking him question after question. And in our elevated view of ourselves, I want us to ask ourselves the same questions. Verse 4. Where was thou, God starts way back at the beginning, where were you, Job, when I created the world? Where were you at? Did you give any counsel, any advice, any wisdom? Was there any of your strength? There are several things God challenges Job on, and that is his, his strength and his wisdom. Two main things that God asks Job in all these questions is, where were you at? How much wisdom did you have in this? And how much power did you have in it? Where were you when I, when I laid the foundations of the earth? And it goes right down through there. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who has stretched the line upon it? He talks about the foundation. Who was the one that came up with the idea of putting boundaries around the sea, around the water to keep it in its place? Who... Who is the one who says when it's going to be daylight and when it's going to be dark, when it's going to be morning, when it's going to be evening? Who is the one who designed or came up with the idea of seasons and the planets all stay in their place? They're in an orbit. They hang together. They don't fly out of their pattern and their position. Who did that? Was that you, Job? Then in chapter 39... He goes on to some of the animals. Who gave the animal, the, the peacock, its feathers? Who came up with that idea? Who came up with the, the idea of the horse and the strength in his neck and the hawk and the eagle? Whose idea was all that? Where were you at, Job? You, you, you accused God of Deserve that he did, I deserve some answers from God, and God asks those questions, and all of a sudden it puts Job in his proper place. And Job responds a chapter later, and he says, I am a vile man. When you look at it like that, 
It puts God in the right perspective. God is above us. God is holy and he's just. He's also loving and he's merciful. So what happens? What happens when I have this elevated view of people? When God becomes small, people become big. Or if I allow people to become big, God becomes small. And when that happens, there's several things that take place. There's a story that I want to look at a little bit where a man became big. But when you, when you hold people or when we elevate people, including ourselves, to a position that we shouldn't be, there are several things that happen in my life. One is... Peer pressure becomes a big issue. I need to look good. I need to drive the right vehicle. I need to build the right house. I need to have the right job. I need to have, because there's peer pressure. Because I begin to perform for people, not God. So when people become elevated, the peer pressure becomes greater. If God is the great being in my life, I'm not as affected by peer pressure. It doesn't bother me if I don't have what somebody else has. The other thing that happens is there's this issue called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is an issue that's been around for years, where we perform not because of God, but we perform again because people have such a big influence on our life, we have to look a certain way. We have to act a certain way. Turn your Bibles to Daniel. What does God think about people being elevated to a place they shouldn't be? What does God think about when I elevate myself? This is the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar made a statement that we would never make. Nebuchadnezzar said this in chapter 4. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel had just interpreted the, deed, the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar wanted to know what his dream meant. Daniel had just told him. And chapter, in verse 28, chapter 4, verse 28, it says this. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, and at the end of 12 months, God didn't bring this judgment on Nebuchadnezzar immediately after he found out. He gave Nebuchadnezzar a chance. And a year later, 12 months later, it says, this is what Nebuchadnezzar said. He knew that God was going to punish him. And at the end of 12 months, the king spake and said, verse 30, Is not this great Babylon that, that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Whose name was important? And you, you tie that in with the story of Job. King Nebuchadnezzar had lifted himself up to a position where I have done this, I have built this great kingdom, not for any glory or honor of God, but for my glory. What is our response when something good happens in our life? When I have worked for something for a long time and it finally happens and I feel so good about what happened, what do I do? Nebuchadnezzar obviously put time and effort into building this kingdom. But he said, it was all done for me. He was the one that looked good, and he wanted to look good. Do I ever, would I be honest enough to ever admit that I'm kind of proud of something I did because it makes me look good. And God's judgment came on Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was warned and Job was asked a lot of questions by God. The response was different. And that's the thing I'd like for you to think about this morning is we all, every one of us, get to that point sometimes where we feel like we're fairly important and pretty much the world revolves around me. We've all been there. But when I'm faced with the facts and with the reality that both Nebuchadnezzar and Job were faced with, Nebuchadnezzar was warned that if things don't change, he's going to, God's judgment will be on him. Job was asked the questions, where were you when all these things happened? Where are you actually at in view of God? The response is the important thing here. 
Job's response. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. It's time I'm quiet. Because I recognize that I had elevated myself almost to the point of God where I demand answers from him. And Job says, it's time I'm quiet. I need to assess the situation I'm in and view where am I at in this in relation to where God is. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he? that hideth counsel without knowledge. Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. When Job recognized where he was at, he said, I'm sorry. I was out of place. I had elevated myself too high. How do we respond when we're presented with truth? We've got it in our heads. We can say in our minds that, and it's easy in church on Sunday morning to say, God is sovereign. God is good. He's totally in control. He's, he's holy. He's just. He's loving. The question is, not what you say in church. The question is, is that your life? That's the question. Does my life portray that I am following God 100%? Job was a perfect and an upright man. Is that what God says about me? And if not, when the truth is presented, how do I respond? Do I repent? Or do I keep on living just like nothing ever happened? My prayer is that we can respond in the right way so that even in the end, after the trials pass, and I don't know what you're going through, but even in the end, after the issues pass that you're struggling with, it can be said of you that through the whole thing, you never charge God foolishly. That your testimony was just as bright through the middle of it as it is when things are good. That's the challenge I want to leave with you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your greatness. And I just pray that as we open our hearts to you, that as you show us what's right and what's wrong, that we would be willing to face it, to deal with it, to be honest with ourselves. And to just allow you to change us in areas we need to be changed. 
so that our testimony to people around us could be clear that our lives are totally dedicated to you. And just give us a, a love and a desire to follow you wherever you call us. Just bless the rest of this service. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.